So quite possibly the most frustrating thing for me to observe in the coaching profession is the culture in coaching where we all have to grind all day, every day to be successful. And as my friend and today's guest, Cody Royal says, the constant grind of coaching is actually grinding coaches into the ground. While this burnout, uh, in my opinion, leads to coaches leaving the profession, as we discussed in last week's episode with Cody, in every case, in every single case, it is hurting the performance of the coach and it is hurting the team. Not to mention the hurt upon the world of the coach, their family and loved ones. So today's episode is a continuation from last week's episode with Cody and from a conversation Nate and I had two episodes ago talking about taking care of ourselves in the season. And we're going to talk today about viewing the coach as a performer and even we're going to take on the challenge of this question of how and when do we leave coaching. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm JP Nurbin, the founder, not of just this podcast, but of TOC, which provides coaching and resources on leadership and culture for coaches. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. If you are new to this podcast, be sure to go to tocculture.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, which has free notes to this and every episode of the pod, as well as a free chapter in my book, The Culture System. Now let's get right into the second half of our conversation with Cody. If I'm a coach and I'm listening to this and I'm in an environment that is fear-based or I feel a lot of pressure to perform, you're just in a league that's a highly competitive league. Gosh, if you're an NBA coach listening to this or you know, a high-level you know, college coach and people are watching your box score every day, you, know, you probably feel a bit of pressure. The level of fear you know, that experience is obviously exerted somewhat by administration and help can alleviate those fears like you're mentioning there. But I would also argue like it's some of it is my perception and, and how I'm working on myself as a coach, you know, like when, when I don't take care of myself, when I'm not getting the right, you know, putting the right people around me, when I'm not filling my head with the right types of things, when, when I'm not, you know, taking care of my body physically, right? and setting boundaries around my time, then like, you know, I'm going to fall apart, you know, like I'm, I'm going to be more susceptible to those pressures and fears. And I, I guess I, I bring this up because one of the big things that you've talked a lot about is, is the mental health of coaches. How much, so if, if I'm a coach listening to this, you know, give me something, maybe I don't like coaching the best school and I can't, or the best team or the best club, you know, and I can't change tomorrow. You know, what, what is, what do I need to start doing today? you know, to be able to combat this fear-based culture that comes from up top? Me personally, if I was in a fear-based culture, I, I would leave. <laughs> um, uh, no one needs to live through that. Um, <clears throat> however, let's hypothesize that, that you want to stay and you want to work on things. Uh, again, we've talked about, you know, most of most misunderstandings start from issues around communication. And so if you're hoping to deal with the, the fear-based culture itself, uh, you've got to help the department break down some of those misunderstandings around where things need to be. But in terms of your own ability to generate more performance out of yourself and, and your own mental health and performance, you know, a lot of the a lot of the kind of tricks, if you will, are sitting right in front of you, and it is barriers. You know, it's barriers to your time. 
it's uh, sleep and finding ways to get better sleep. Sleep comes with practice, right? You can't just magically decide to sleep 12 hours now or block out 12 hours and all of a sudden you're going to sleep the whole time. There are ways to train yourself to be able to go to sleep that often what we do is we take them or we go and learn about them at a seminar or a workshop, give them to our athletes, and then we don't follow them. Uh, but sleep is a huge one because of it, it impacts so much of performance, JP. Like, you, you know, this, you and I have had this conversation many times, like your emotional regulation. So your ability to, to regulate yourself let alone others, is impacted. Your, your ability to uh, make good decisions, your ability to communicate and find the right words, to find the right tone to deliver those words, it's all, all generated through your ability to sleep and to rest and recover. And so, you know, I would start there with some of the really, uh, you know, low-hanging fruit, you know, your nu nutrition, uh, your hydration, your sleep, your your own exercise as a way to generate performance out of yourself. So I think what we're doing at the moment is we're trying to start coaching from a state of depletion and just hoping that it gets better. That's like having our players run a marathon the night before a game and just hoping that because they've played basketball before that they're gonna that they're gonna be able to perform. Uh, it's a silly approach, and we need to turn it to go the other way and what i'll what i'll say here because we're talking about someone in a, a culture of fear is you're going to have to educate people about this new world of coaching that you're hoping to to live in you're going to have to educate people why you aren't going to respond to texts at 8 p.m because you're having dinner with your family it shouldn't be that way. You should never have to educate someone on why you're not going to pick up the phone at 7 p.m., which is dinner time for everyone. <laughs> you shouldn't have to educate people on that necessarily. But that's, you know, maybe we did this to ourselves as coaches in that we started answering every text message and every phone call all the time. Um, but so don't just, I would recommend not just doing it. Have a plan in place, but make sure you communicate that with your athletes and with your athletic department and say why. And the reason why is it's going to make you a better coach. And I think what you've shared, this comes back to something you said earlier on the transparency about why are we doing these things or just educating on, you know, why I'm making these changes or just educating on what's challenging about coaching. You know, like, I think that's really, you've shared a lot of things about that. And I think so often there's a lack of transparency within us as coaches. We don't always pull back the curtain of why we're doing things or what we're working on. And I think that that's huge. I think that that will really help people to buy in with that. I, I, one thing I even challenged a few coaches with recently is I said, at the end of the day, five years from now, who do you want to have disappointed? Your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, or do you want to have disappointed your players and administrators? If you have to, you know, I'm not saying, you know, there's, there's no way forward that you can't, you can't have to both be happy in some cases, but in a day, like you have to make choices. Like who do you want five, 10 years from now to have been disappointed? You know, and that's, that's a, that's always a powerful question to reflect on, but I love what you're sharing around the transparency, because I think when people see that they'll actually be more empathetic and understanding of, of why we're choosing to, to do certain things. 
and and this this is the the great thing about what we're talking about here is that you don't need to have expertise in sports or coaching or leadership to understand what we're talking about here because you can have a conversation with someone and say tell me how you felt the week after because it's coming up to christmas when you tell me how you felt the week after christmas when you ate as much as humanly possible tell me what state you were in were you lethargic were you um, how was your decision making? Were you sleepy? Did you crash at two p.m.? Yeah. So when when a coach, you know, uh, like me, goes to the drive-through instead of having their the the healthy meals that our players have, that impacts me too. Tell me about a time where you you've been where you haven't been sleeping well, and tell me about how you, you know, uh, what were your decisions that week. Um, or tell me about a time where you were tired and you got snippy with your wife and you didn't mean it because you didn't have any control over you, how you were communicating because you were tired. Like, yeah, that impacts me too. And so th these are human things that we're dealing with. They're not specific to coaching. And so it doesn't matter who you are, you can actually fundamentally understand why a coach who needs those things would be looking to put some of these plans around themselves so that they can perform better. Cody, I think this fits here. It's one of the phrases that I've I've heard you use and, and seen you um, write before is that as a coach, we have to get comfortable with this place where it's not about us, but it's all about us. And I wonder if you could, you know, sort of explain what you mean by that paradox, because I think we're kind of in that ballpark here. Yeah, yeah, it's the great paradox of coaching teams, right? Um, you know, we we say it's not about us and it's not. But ultimately, it is, and almost in its entirety, it is because of the bearing that we have on our teams. And, you know, really where it comes from is this idea from contagion theory where essentially people in groups become who they observe most often, right? So that's, that's you know, pretty... Uh, uh, been well known in in human behavior circles for a long time right like when you're a, when you're dealing with alcoholism you change the environment you change the people that you're hanging around with because you're essentially replicating their behavior and so in the in the sporting environment the person being observed the most is the coach and so the, the people around you your players are replicating the behaviors that they see and so again it, it's this funny kind of paradox where we we know the impact of sleep on our athletes we know the impact of nutrition on our athletes we know the impact of uh, positivity on our athletes we know the impact of all these different things and we say you guys do them i'm gonna do none of them <laughs> and i'm going to be your leader <laughs> and it makes zero sense and we need to stop that but the great thing is we know the secrets because we're the ones that give them to the players. And so we should be able to say, what would it look like for me to actually go and do this as well? And the great thing is I think the most locked up, tied up human potential in sports is actually sitting within our coaches and it's unrealized potential because we haven't taken very good care of ourselves or thought of ourselves as performers. 
we've thought of ourselves the other way around and that we have to be these endless givers and we have to be in a state of depletion or we're not doing the job properly. But what that means is I think there's a lot of potential sitting within us that just can't come out because we're not in a, a physical or emotional state to be able to deliver it. And I think that's one of my favorite call to actions for coaches that you so beautifully express so often, which is that we have to view ourselves as performers. Um, but also, I remember Greg McEwen, who wrote Essentialism and Effortless, he has this great thing where I hear him talking about, you know, the whole analogy of, you know, put your oxygen mask on before you help the person, you know, other people, like the whole like, airplane kind of metaphor that we hear so often when it comes to personal care. And he says, when people typically talk about that, it's like, oh, I got to take care of myself so I can take care of other people. He's like, you need to take care of yourself just to say that you're a human being <laughs> and you have value. It's not just so you can go out and serve. It's because you're valuable. You're worth taking care of. And I love how you talk about this endless giver. And I just think that that's that's really profound and really kind of resonated with just kind of what you've shared there. Well, um, actually, there's research that just came out in the last couple of months about that. And it was from English football and, you know, I found it and posted on social media today. And, and, you know, it was, it was very much about that, right? Like this, this fundamental idea that the endless giver is the only way that you'll survive. And in fact, people that displayed behaviors kind of contrary to that, you know, their commitment was called into question and they were deemed as not suitable for coaching. So, you know, like people that won't work 16 or 20 hour days, not suitable to coaching. That's not, that's not the job, man. Mm. There's, there's something you said earlier around 15 minutes ago when I asked you this question around what a coach could do if they were not in this environment that they felt a great deal of psychological safety. And you said you would consider leaving. And I think this is a question that we've, we've talked a lot about on this, this, this podcast. We've talked about, hey, you know, when, you're, when a player wants to leave their sport, how do you walk with them through that? We've also talked about, as a coach, when you start wrestling with that question, is it worth it? Is it time for me to hang it up? Like, how do we process that? I'm really curious your perspective because I, I, I don't know if you've heard this a lot, but in my one-on-one -on -one coaching with coaches, in my work there, I could say easily half the coaches that I've worked with easily have said something to the fact of, I think often or I think a, off a lot about leaving coaching. I just don't know what I would do. And that what, what I hear when, I, when they say that is, there's this, the practical, you know, like, what would I actually do? How would I make money? Or, you know, that type of thing. And there's also the, I've been a coach all my life. Like, what am I if I'm not coaching? You know, like, so that is honestly the, the biggest block, right? There is the practical step. And then there's the, just the, okay, who are we if we're not without, you know, if we're not a coach? So I'm just curious your perspective. Have you walked with coaches through this to say, hey, it is time to hang up the whistle. Like it's the healthy thing for me and there's more I can do in the world. Like there's a time for everyone to eventually hang it up. So yeah, what's your experience with that? Yeah, I have. And I was talking to a friend who also coaches coaches recently and she told me that 
I think half of her clients have, have left, like quit. And so she's kind of supported them through that. Um, you know, from a from the technical perspective and you know, what what will I do next? I'll start there because Jesus, coaches can do anything next uh, when you break down the the duties and look at what they actually are that we do. Like we are off the charts as a <laughs> as a training ground for you know, it, uh, project management, um, you know, leadership and managerial roles. Uh, like when you sit there and say, you know, a lot of us can, uh, yeah, like let's look at project management, like get a bus, uh, an outsourced bus to come here and arrive on this side of the road and pick up th- these players and uh, in this amount of minutes, collect the bags, get everyone on it, go to the, you know, like when you actually look through what we do on a day-to-day basis, there are there are so many transferable skills. And so- Can I, I jump in real quick on that too? Like you said earlier about how lucrative coaching could be for some people to support their families. And I would argue that honestly, the amount of hours we spend in coaching, like we could have made way more money in life. Like there's a very small percentage of coaches in the world that will actually like, make the big bucks, but like all this hours we put into coaching, we probably could have chased something else and made a ton more money. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I've spent a lot of my corporate career in technology and I tell you what though, we, if I was building a team, I would want coaches on there. And even corporate teams now are looking at not so much managers as coaches. Who, who do we actually employ around, for instance, our software development team that help help them eliminate barriers to their performance and things like that. So there's an easy one that the corporate world is, again, looking at coaching and saying, how do we actually get what they have? And so more of those roles are coming up, let alone the more technical roles like project management, for instance. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, but then on the, the, you know, the personal side and the who am I and identity and things like that, I think that's a, a more difficult one. But where I go with it, and I'm sure you're the same, JP is, I see my job there is to guide coaches' awareness around um, and look at the problem from a bunch of different perspectives to make sure that if they do make a decision and they do want to leave, that that it is actually what they want to do and it's not just a reactive, uh, you know, uh, I'm having a hard week and so I'm going to walk away and that it is actually, you know, have you thought about this or what is it that's actually bugging you? Is it just that you you haven't had a difficult conversation and you're going to blow up a, a promising career because you don't want to have the conversation? Is it uh, can we upskill you um, in a particular way? And actually stepping through some of the, the things that may be leading them to jump, you know, too early to a decision to leave and just make sure that if they do that, it really is what they want to do and that the passion has left. They're okay with another identity, you know, all, all those different things. And I, it's not my job or our job to kind of help them leave. It's to say, make sure you've considered all of these different things around it from various angles, from my angle. You know, I think you can coach, uh, you know, from your angle, from, uh, you know, people close to you. 
and just make sure that you've covered all of that off. And if you still arrive at the same destination, that's probably a pretty clear indication that you should go and try something else. Yeah. And I think too, it's, it's, if the pressure, it's the fear of losing the job, then, you know, I, I've, I've been like, okay, well, you know, you could lose your job or you could step away from your job. You know, why don't, why don't, and I've seen some coaches that have gone into a year and said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to accept whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to stress or worry about it. You know, I know I'll be at the end of the day, I'll be okay. I can find, you know, something practically that fits for me and my family. And just that decision alone, just stay with it. And until their time is up, whoever decides has just been freeing for certain individuals. I know. Um, I want to ask you this here, as we're kind of wrapping things up, you, I know you're in the process of writing a new book around coaching. don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, but I know one of the big things that you are talking a lot about is the value of coaches for coaches. Um, and it's something that you're deeply passionate about. It's something that we've, you know, me and Native and passionate about. It's, it's kind of what I realized coaches needed, you know, like in my journey, I was like, I didn't need some motivational speaker or a guy to come into a team workshop. I needed someone that could get on a call and talk to me and coach me through situations. So, you know, for you, I like, talk to us a little about your passion there and, and why it's, 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 uh, you're going to be the topic of one of your new books. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a confluence of things that, that have happened and writing tough stuff was probably the first one because it, it opened up a lot of the, the challenges that coaches were dealing with. And, and frankly, it did start in the wellbeing space. You know, coaches came to me off the back of reading my work and said, can you coach me on this? And as I started to really look into it more, I had the same realization as you, JP. And, and it was mostly for myself. I was like, oh my God, I, this has been sitting right in front of me that whole time. And I either didn't know it was a thing or it hadn't occurred to me or I was too green or I don't know what it was, but uh, yeah. Uh, and someone with different eyes close to me, but not literally in the chair next to me to help step through key decisions, observe from time to time and provide feedback or help me get through some of those uh, really sticky situations would have been key. And so, yeah, what I want to do with this next book is, is really open that door to people and say, firstly, this is a thing. Uh, secondly, it can certainly help with, you know, some of the well-being challenges that we've been talking about. But potentially more importantly is we know the impact of coaching on people We've got, you know, decades now in, in executive coaching to look to in terms of what it does for knowledge workers like CEOs and coaches are knowledge workers. Um, and so it can be a performance accelerator for a lot of coaches to have their own coach. And so, you know, there's still a lot of people that do, either don't know it exists, think that people like us who coach coaches, what it means is that we tell them what to do, <laughs> to which I say, have you ever met a head coach? <laughs> they are not told what to do. <laughs> you can suggest things to them, but uh, the good ones aren't going to just be told. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly not that either. And so my point here is that there are a lot of 
you know, there's a lot of false information or people don't fully understand what it looks like and how it can help. And so the new book's really going to delve into a lot of that. What does it actually look like on a day-to-day basis? And then the people that are doing it, how is it helping them navigate some of these well-being challenges, but also the actual performance of the coach? Well, I'm excited about it because I know it's going to, with with the way you write, normalize something that should be more normal, especially when, back to earlier part of the conversation, our administrations are not doing enough to support or coach, you know, um, sometimes due to their own limitations, you know, like, and that are understandable for sure. But uh, the more we can get, like you said, people a little bit outside that our circumstances, a little less emotionally attached. Um, with that perspective, it can be hugely, hugely viable as I know it's been for myself, for yourself and for the people that we've worked with. So, um, appreciate you hopping on today to have this, uh, conversation just before the Christmas break. It was really, really enjoyable. Thanks for having me back guys. Most people say after the first one, we'll get you back on, but you guys have actually got me back on. So I I appreciate that. (laughs) You you must like me. (laughs) All right, that's it for our conversation with Cody. Hopefully some great encouragement for you. If you like Cody as much as I do, you should probably check out his book, The Tough Stuff, if you haven't already. It's definitely the most raw and real coaching book on the shelf today.